Electric cars, solar, wind, and even nuclear for the grid, and eating less meat, all ways to reduce a carbon footprint. But what happens if one part of the economy puts out more climate-threatening emissions? And could that one part push not only Canada, but the entire world into irreversibly severe climate change? I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver, and this is Why. The world has a carbon problem, but Canada seems especially acute. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, in order to keep global warming under one and a half degrees, there's only so much in emissions we can put out into the atmosphere. And we're getting surprisingly close. And according to a recent paper from the Cascade Institute, oil and gas production in this country could use up an outsized amount of the global carbon budget if government policy doesn't change. Truzar Doherty is a PhD candidate currently studying at the University of Waterloo, and he's a top 30 under 30 sustainability leader with the Corporate Nights magazine and uh, joins us to explain this paper. Thank you so much for your time, Truzar. Thanks for having me. At the start of any sort of paper or any sort of research project, there's always a, a sort of a, a hypothesis that you try to uh, find the answer to. What was that hypothesis? What was that problem you were trying to solve in this paper? Yeah, absolutely. So our, I think our motivation really sort of came uh, from the recognition that Canada's climate strategy in its in its current state, though ambitious, um, is it, I, we believe not enough to meet our global commitments. Uh, yeah, it's in part because fossil fuels are are not explicitly considered as a uh, as as a climate strategy. So they're not part of, of Canada's climate strategy, you're saying there. Um, I mean, it, it's it's fascinating because, I mean, to, 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 to do a bit of background, Canada has, uh, uh, with uh, they signed on the Paris Climate Accord to try to, to uh, reduce uh, emissions and uh, get to net zero by a uh, by a certain year, uh, along with you know hundreds of other countries or, or dozens, if not more than a hundred other countries around the world, they uh, and and so you're saying, or in this paper, it, it's saying that um, oil and gas production run counter to that goal. Is is that right? Yeah. So uh, sort of the the framing of of this paper around sort of the the one eye shut is is to sort of infer that the government as of uh, its its current strategy is is not addressing the that lead cause of climate change, the fossil fuel industry, um, which in turn would would make it uh, increasingly challenging to uh, meet those uh, Paris Paris target climate goals. And how Canada's production of oil and gas could take up a significant portion of the world's carbon budget. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the global carbon budget is the total amount of uh, uh, carbon emissions that we can extract into the atmosphere um, to uh, safely meet certain targets, whether that's a 1.5 degree uh, climate target or, or a two degree climate target. And uh, according to a, a new study in Nature uh, that, that was released uh, this year, we know that in order to have a good chance, a 67% chance of, of meeting our 1.5 degree target, uh, no more than 230 gigatons of carbon can be burned altogether. Um, and Canada's plan uh, is, is quite straightforward. We, we plan on burning 26 gigatons of oil over the next 30 years and 10 gigatons of gas over the next 30 years. So. Uh, with that, the math was pretty straightforward. 36 gigatons of the 230 uh, gigatons uh, that, that are permiss permissible to be uh, released 
accounts for about 16% of the, uh, of the carbon budget. So if that ends up being true, and Canada could take up to 16% of the world's carbon budget by 2050, what do you propose to address that? I think, you know, broadly speaking, uh, we we need uh, greater supply side policy. And, and what, what I mean by supply side policy is, is policy that uh, over, over time restricts uh, fossil fuel production towards a, a managed wind down. Um, there, there are several different ways of doing that. One could be um, removing fossil fuel subsidies uh, estimated to a around $18 billion, um, we, we could have uh, more stringent regulations uh, in place as to how much can be produced, um, or we can also incentivize the, uh, the, the private financial sector uh, to be more prudent in how they uh, uh, lend and invest in the fossil fuel industry. So you're saying that there could be some um, uh, government side uh, interventions to reduce that production so do you think that if if Mar if the free market was just allowed to run uh as it seems to be trending now with a lot of uh you know capital market um uh, a lot of uh, large equity players are, are divesting investments they're getting out of oil and gas companies is is that alone going to do enough to reduce uh oil and gas um emissions or or the the, the production emissions yeah, it's it's an interesting point in time that we're in in right now with um, with, with movers uh, around the world, countries, institutions uh, appearing to move away from fossil fuels, uh, perhaps much much quicker than initially anticipated. I, I think, if I remember correctly, the International Energy Association projects that demand will plateau um, in in the next decade for fossil fuels. Um, I believe. Uh, Market forces, in, in and of itself, will play uh, a significant role in in uh, providing an even an even more ambitious uh, target than than we currently ha have have in front of us. Um, you know, the the problem specifically is that um, along this transition, if there is any oil that's going to be left on the table, it's going to be um, from high cost, high emitting sources like Canada. And, and so we're already starting to see the effects of this in recent years with the exodus of, of fossil fuel majors, uh, as well as private fin financing away from, from the oil sands. So certainly th that will play uh, a role. Um, however, I think uh, policy is, is incredibly effective in, in, in accelerating that trajectory. Speaking of policy, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau recently announced Canada's goal of reducing emissions by 40 to 45 percent in less than 10 years. What kind of effects can these statements have? When Canadians elected us five years ago, our emissions were projected to keep rising through 2030. But with hard work and a solid plan, Canada is now on track to blow past our old target of 30 percent reduction below 2005 levels. Last December, we strengthened our climate plan to reduce more emissions, including with a world-leading price on pollution. This week, we made additional investments in the budget, and today, Canada is in a position to raise our climate ambition once again. Our new climate target for 2030 is to reduce our 2005 emission levels by 40 to 45 percent. And we will continually strengthen our plan and take even more actions on our journey to net zero 
by 2050. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great to hear the uh, you know for for some context about the commitment. Uh, Monday's budget uh, included measures to reduce emissions by 36 percent uh, by by 2030. Thursday's climate uh, commitment was at least 40 percent, aiming for 45 percent. Um, and this is you know the most aggressive climate strategy Canada has has committed to uh, to date. 36 to 40 percent uh, may not be enough, uh, especially com- compared to our, our uh, allies. Um, we are still laggards, uh, and and scientists in, in Canada are calling for closer to 60 percent uh, reductions is is what would be needed. I, I think it'd also be worth mentioning that you know we're 16 percent or 16 years past the 2005 initial starting point and then we have increased emissions every every year since then so we have nine years uh le- left to meet this meet this target a few other pieces I, I guess just sort of on the uh on on the budget the 17.6 billion dollars towards climate action that we that we saw on on monday um again perhaps you know what's what's telling about this this budget is the limited reference to fossil fuel production directly the, the money will be used to reduce fossil fuel demand, invest in low carbon energy sources and, and climate adaptation, but, but not directly towards uh, reducing the supply of fossil fuels. Um, so the question is, can this be achieved um, without supply side restrictions? From, from my understanding, I th- you know, Canada, Canada is doing quite well um, in reducing absolute emissions from other sectors like, like electricity, for example. Um, in, in recent years, but all these gains have been offset by a rise in emissions from the oil sands. Uh, I think a quote that really stuck with me uh, by David Hughes is, to, to maintain fossil fuel production, we would need an economic contraction larger than the Great Depression in order for the rest of the economy to carry the disproportionate share of emissions reductions. So, you know, bottom line, this is a great step forward, uh, a big one. Um, but it is also a continuation of, of this one eye shut climate policy that doesn't include supply side policy solutions. As I mentioned earlier, I'm in Calgary. Uh, you're probably not that far from the Waterloo campus, I imagine. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, and so there's been, I mean, for my entire life, there's been uh, talk about, uh, you know, how uh, the need to go more green. And, and while this province is, uh, you know, in Alberta, it seems it's it's Canada's primary uh, producer of oil and gas. Um, and so I'm just going to throw a couple of comments, questions that I've heard that are counters or potential counters to this argument to go green. Um, First is the is is the livelihoods part of it. Have you traveled to, to Alberta? Have you spoken with Albertans, small town Albertans, for whom the you know their, their primary um, household income is thanks to oil and gas? And 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 what did you have you have you been able to do that? I I I, I haven't, um, but I, I certainly acknowledge that that aspect, and I'm happy to speak to it now. Or if yeah, you want please. To- Sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the fossil fuel industry uh, un- undoubtedly plays uh, a central role in in sort of this uh, the the Canadian zeitgeist, right? The the Canadian spirit, the Canadian ness, um, and, and there are several reasons for that. From uh, what what I've seen, I, one being inertia, right? Canada is a fossil fuel producing nation. It's what we've done historically. It's what we do today. Um, it's an important. It's an important part of of the Canadian economy. The other piece is um, influence. the The industry does influence 
uh, Canadian policy. And, and our research, for example, showed that the industry met with policymakers uh, four and a half times per day uh, in 2020. Uh, so of course, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a strong connection there. Um, and, and the third being, being the, the Canadian psyche, and it would be incredibly disingenuous of me to sort of underplay the, the important role of fossil fuels uh, in, in many Canadians' national identity and livelihoods, um, and certainly more so in Alberta. Um, and it's acknowledging that for, first and foremost. Um, within that framework, sort of moving forward, uh, we've seen that the world appears to be moving away from fossil fuels um, quicker than anticipated. Um, and along that transition, some of these resources will, uh, will be stranded, right? Will, will remain underground because there's, there's just not the demand for it or uh, it's, it's not economically viable to, to produce it. Um, these, these resources are gonna come from high cost, high emitting sources um, like the Canadian oil sands. Um, and, you know, we're, we're starting to see the effects of that now with, with individuals losing their jobs um, and, and the province, you know, uh, the, the, these changes cutting into the province's uh, revenue streams. Um, and I also want to highlight that, you know, the, this effects are not, these effects are not going to be limited to, to just fossil fuel workers. It's, it's certainly going to be affecting the entire economy as we're so interdependent um, on, on the fossil fuel industry. But at the same time, we're also equally um, interdependent on on the world and and the, the trajectory the world is taking. Um, so I would be, you know, particularly mindful in in sort of raising that lens that you know as the world moves away from from fossil fuels, um, chances are we may be um, close to the front of the line, uh, and that that is going to affect Canadian jobs and, and Canadian revenue. Have you given much thought in terms of how technology can help with reducing emissions from oil and gas production? In your paper, you say that carbon capture and sequestration don't really cut it. So both hydrogen, hydro, blue hydrogen and hydrogen, green hydrogen and um, carbon sequestration um, are, are technological solutions that uh, certainly we need to continue investing in towards uh, towards the future if, if we are going to um, you know, address the, the carbon emissions that are that are in the air right now and and uh, start start restricting those. Uh, the, the the real difference here is uh, on one hand we're talking about emissions intensity how how much can we reduce the emissions intensity and on the other hand we're talking about uh, absolute emissions can we um, can we put a limit to the absolute emissions uh, that that are being that are being emitted. If these technologies like hydrogen and, and carbon sequestration um, reduce the absolute emissions, I think those are good solutions. Uh, from my understanding, where we're at uh, currently is, is carbon sequestration is, is using uh, you know, carbon that, that is currently sequestered in, in the ground uh, towards enhanced oil recovery, which in turn uh, increases fossil fuel production. Similarly with blue hydrogen, it's, it's used in the production uh, process to yes, reduce uh, emissions intensity, but also continue uh, 
the absolute amount of fossil fuel uh, production that that's released. You've got years, a, a good few years of, of publishing on um, fossil fuel divestment, uh, transitioning to a low carbon economy and that sort of thing. Through all of this time that you've been doing this work specifically, have you seen sentiment from politicians? How have you seen that changed? I think I've seen a positive transition around the world. There's no question about it. We're moving in the right direction. I think uh, 2015 was certainly a, uh, a pivotal year with the Paris Agreement, and and it's sort of brought attention to a lot of climate cries that uh, that activists and uh, NGOs ha have been asking for and calling for for all these years. I, I think there there seems to be greater recognition that you know, whatever strategy we have, climate change needs to be uh, a part of that. And that, you know, it seems to be um, across political boundaries. I think what's particularly uh, interesting is the expansion of, of the private sector and, and their involvement in, in, in the climate crisis and, and recognizing that moving away from, from the fossil fuel industry actually is is financially financially favorable it, it has higher returns and a, a lot of the banks have have consequently not only started to change their policies around energy financing but but also put forth sort of 2050 net net zero targets uh in, in order to meet those those goals and and, and uh, expanded so it's it's an interesting point in time where we have both the the governments as, as well as the uh private sector acting in accordance to towards uh, decarbonization. Why did you get into this work? What? What? Why? Uh, I mean, you've you've built up a, a a body of work, as I alluded on your your Google Scholar page. Like, why did you start down this whole path of of you know economic economics and the environment? Yeah, I, I was fortunate during my my undergrad to have the opportunity to take uh, many courses in both economics and and environment. Um, and I, I found gaps in both um, economics often, you know, uh, and, you know, we're sort of talking like early to 2010s here. Uh, I'm sure much has changed, but economics generally uh, fails to incorporate environmental externalities. Uh, you know, the, the conversation of, of carbon as a pollution is, is still relatively uh, you know, fr frequently discussed in, in uh, economic, environmental economic discourse. And, and on the on the opposite side, we have the environmental courses where you know the solution is often as simple as you know planting trees, and you know we can save the world uh, through through that lens. And and both are, are flawed in in their own way, um, but but both can complement and, and inform each other. So the opportunity I had both in my master's and PhD to pursue what we call multidisciplinary research, um, I, I think, is what what really sort of drew me towards this um, to to be able to bring those two ideas together. This is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email at thisisby at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisisby. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and get vaccinated if you can. We'll see you soon. <laughs>